Hey, Deserving Listeners. A lot of you know that I've been focusing a lot on loneliness lately because not only due to the pandemic, but just I think a lot of people are suffering from loneliness. As a part of the investigation, I thought I'd have a special guest on the show. Billy, why don't you introduce yourself to the podcast? Sure. My name's Billy Baker. I am a reporter for the Boston Globe, and I am the author of a new book called We Need to Hang Out. I mean, I guess the easiest thing would be to tell my story, how I got wrapped up in this and uh, ended up writing a book. It started when I was called to an editor's office at the Boston Globe magazine with this, uh, one of the oldest lies in journalism, which is, we have a story you'd be perfect for, you know, and it feeds right into the ego. I marched down there. I was like, okay, what, what is it? And I sit down and this guy looks at me and he says, I want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. And I was shocked and a little offended. And uh, also, you know, are you calling me middle age? Like a whole bunch of things are spinning through my head in this moment. Before I could even really say anything, he starts plowing through all this stuff that was new to me, which was this all this research on uh, a, a crisis of loneliness in this country. At the time, the Surgeon General was kind of using this as his uh, his chief platform. He's this editor is going on about uh, all these mental health consequences, which which made sense. But it was what was shocking were all these physical consequences as well. That loneliness, isolation, even living alone could have these dire effects on your physical health. And so I kind of sit there like, well, you know, I'm still a little lost. What, what does this have to do with me being perfect for this? And as I walk back to my desk, I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I'm trying to convince myself that I'm not, I'm not the right guy for this story. You know, I'm not lonely. I've got friends. And as I start going through the list in my head of the people I think of as like my best friends and people I hang out with all the time, it started to, you know, the, the reality was like, wait, when, you know, when was the last time I saw that guy? You know, was it, it's, it's been a month. It's been a year. Like it, you know, I, I really, it, it was a, a, you know, a splash of cold water to the face. And by the time I got back to my desk, it was like, you know what? I am perfect for this story. And not because I'm unique in any way, but because my story felt very typical. And so that was my introduction to loneliness as like an, a societal issue. And uh, yeah, so that way, that's what started it all off and led to me, you know, doing some research for this article, kind of raising my hand and admitting that I never really used the term lonely. I, I, I think I was a little glib about it. I said I, I felt like a loser, that I had allowed myself to become a loser because, you know, I was someone who was lucky to have good friends, but I had no longer prioritized them. It wasn't like I woke up every day and said, you know, I've got to take care of my, my family. I got to, you know, go to the gym and I got to see friends. You know, it just wasn't on my daily priority list. And when I sat back, it was like, you know what, I guess I am a little lonely. Like, I, I just, you know, I've got no one to hang out with on a Wednesday night. Like, I, I don't I don't have an, an active tribe in my life. When, when you start looking into it, I took the UCLA loneliness test, you know, uh, I rated myself on this scale, and it turns out I was dead average for the nation, but dead average for the nation is what would be considered high loneliness. All these things were real shocks to my system, and so I write this article, it runs in the magazine. It has this title, a bit wordy. It says something like, uh, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men is not smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. 
And I would think that that was like the kiss of death for an article. And little did I know, it became, I, I believe at that time, it became the most popular article ever published in the Boston Globe. It was a mania. It went, but it took over my life. And it led to so many emails, like real heartfelt confessions. And I think it was by, by raising my hand saying, hey, I'm a regular guy. And this is affecting me, and I feel like a bit of a loser. I somehow or another kickstarted the conversation and also created like a safe space for other guys to say, you know what, that's kind of me as well. So, yeah, so that uh, that's a long word away. That's my introduction to what what appears to be a real loneliness epidemic in America. Was there a lot of pain in the emails? It was all over the book. I mean, it really, they came by the thousands. It was shocking. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of just baseline, like, realization. Like, I never realized I was lonely until you wrote about it in those terms. And what was most interesting, the reason that article then became a book, is that the emails weren't asking for more evidence of the cancer. They were asking about the cure. And so... You know, this started with you asking about, you know, resources for loneliness online. I, I, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were like, well, all right, we, the cure for loneliness is friendship, right? Like, it it seems simple enough, but in this day and age, depending on where you are in life, what age you are, like, these things become strangely complicated. And so I set out, you know, I, I started with the space of, like, the loneliness epidemic, the health consequences, the science, the data. And then I set out to figure out what, how do we hack this so that we can produce friendship, so I can fix my own life and see if there's some sort of lessons in it for everybody. So, I mean, I, I went off on this, like, three-year quest, and I threw a lot of stuff at the wall. I talked to experts. I ignored experts. I went every which way. And I have to say, after three years um i mean i travel i i was i was like a nut it was uh, i mean i'm looking at a wall full of post-it notes of just random things i tried and uh like what by the end like what yeah. uh i tried to bring back senior skip day for my high school class i kind of did the thought experiment like you know what what if i you know if I, I could go back with that crew from high school what was the best day we had it was that you know it was that day we ditch out on school and so i mean real loser move i get on like the facebook page for the class and was like hey uh i'm bringing back senior skip day we're gonna do it on a friday the whole point is you have to skip and we're we're gonna meet at this you know field near our old high school and play some kickball and i don't know drink a few beers and uh threw it out there and of course you know i mean i'm 44 years old. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, a couple maybes, a couple of you're out of your minds. And, uh, it was a, one of the most nervous mornings of my life. I, I got there early. I popped open a beach chair. I sat along the sidelines of a field. And I mean, every dog walker that came by, my heart went up and down. And, and eventually, sure enough, like, I think it was like 30 or 40 people literally skipped out on life and showed up, uh, at this field. And it was great. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, so, I mean, I I wrote a book, so there's obviously a lot of things going on, but, um, I was interested in women. I kept hearing almost as this 
fact. Like, women are better at friendship than men. Like, it was just a done deal, right? And, like, the health data indicated that they seemed to be suffering slightly less from this whole loneliness thing. But it was like, what? What is it? What, what do they have that we don't have, right? Can I? Is there anything I can, you know, can I sneak over to the girls' cabin and steal something and bring it back to the boys' cabin? And it's a, it's a fool's errand, right? I mean, I've been around women my whole life. I've been watching their relationships. But I was... Uh, I kept hearing about the the girls trip. It's like held up as this like, you know, the the, the Mount Olympus of uh, American friendship is the girls trip, right? And if I went on the girls trip, it wouldn't be a girls trip anymore. There'd be some guy there. There'd be some reporter. So I I I it's still one of the most ridiculous ideas I, I've ever had, and I'm not sure what on ridiculous ideas, but uh, I I heard that the new kids on the block had a cruise and it was essentially 4,000 women and the new kids on the block. And so I was like, if I go on this cruise, no one's going to care that I'm there. They're, they're only there for these five guys in the band and each other. And sure enough, I was like a fly on the wall. I felt like an anthropologist with my pith helmet on and my monocle. And I was just staring at women like a weirdo. And trying to see, like, what is it that they, where are they getting their joy from and their togetherness that we don't seem to have? Uh, and it was like the simplest things. It's like, look, they're, they're dancing the whole time. These women danced for four straight days, right? They were dancing, waiting at the buffet. They were dancing, waiting for the band to come on. They were dancing when the band was on. It was like, you know, if you look at the the psychology of dancing, it's this incredible source for social grooming you know you can you can bond with people by dancing it's in the same category as laughter you know you can kind of connect with the whole group and get this good juju it was like my guy friends we don't go dancing like guys don't guys dance like when like maybe at a wedding you know like midnight when like uh they've already had a few like these and so yeah, so I mean, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought, but like, yeah, ridiculous things. It was just, I tried to bring back the night before Thanksgiving. That seemed to be like the informal, like everyone's back in town, let's all get together. That was a disaster. Um, you know, I led some friends on a treasure hunt. I tried to, when I wrote the original article, one of the uh, things I talked about was uh, I met this guy. So uh, I'm also, I should say, I think this is um, something a lot of people deal with. I don't live where I grew up, you know, so I live now, you know, I grew up in Boston, actually, but I live about an hour north of the city now. So, you know, I I don't, I didn't have a built-in community. So when I moved to this community, I met this guy who, at one point, he, he said this thing and it confused me. He's like, oh, I can't do that. I have Wednesday night. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, don't we all have Wednesday night? What are you, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, So like Wednesday night's this thing, my Buddies and I made this pact decades ago that on Wednesday night we just get together and hang out. And when he told me that, I, I kind of filed it away. Like, that's a, that's a cute idea. Maybe I'll do that when I need it. And uh, when I got asked to do this original article, it was kind of a wake-up call. Like, oh, I, I already needed something like that. So I tried to create Wednesday night with uh, some of my older high school buddies Um it kind of felt a little forced. We definitely like reconnected in a good way, but I ultimately used essentially the same tactic to uh, 
create what is often referred to as a middle-aged guy's fraternity that uh, meets on Wednesday nights in a, in a barn <laughs> or around a fire pit. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, you know, I simple things like that. I just kept trying and trying and uh, tying it all in to, to research. You know, I was reading a lot. There's a lot in the psychology about, like, what works what doesn't, what's different between men and women in terms of uh, how we interact, what we get from our relationships. I don't know if you know, you're familiar with the whole like shoulder to shoulder um, idea. So, so there's this, this thought that, well, it's not a thought, it's um, in photo studies of people interacting. If you look at men interacting versus women interacting, men tend to stand shoulder to shoulder and they tend to bond or talk over an activity. Whereas women talk face to face. And when you hear something, like when I first heard it, I was just, you know, far away stare like, oh my gosh, like now I, I see it everywhere. I see, you know, box seats and bar stools. All these things are kind of built for that male posture of interaction. And if you even look now, you know, you can see it everywhere if you're looking for it. But if you see two guys even sitting across a, a table from each other in a restaurant, they often turn their chairs to be facing the same direction but not at each other it's it's so knowing things like that it's like all right shoulder to shoulder is how men interact when at their best so you know i mean when when i'm trying to repair friendships it's not just as simple as hey we should get together and have some coffee it's like let's find something we can do together some activity that will put us into that shoulder to shoulder position and then you know, a friend of mine describing why he plays golf says it, it's just something to do with our hands while we talk about what's going on at home or whatever it might be. So it was it was seeking out those sorts of things to use to strengthen my friendships. And, and I ultimately end up, you know, there's this phrase I use in the book. Uh, I call them velvet hooks, which is I'm trying to find these sort of soft connectors for each of my relationships. Like, what is that thing we do? that gives us a reason, a, a way to be friends with our friends. And, uh, and, and it's the things we already know about. It's the, it's the bowling leagues and the trivia nights and the fantasy football and, and you know, with book clubs, whatever it is like, you know, I've never been to a woman's book club, but I'm always told the same thing. It's not about the book. Like half the time they don't even get to talking about the book, right? It's about uh, the book is the excuse to get together on the regular with their friends. So, Velvet hooks like that were ultimately where I found success. Big gimmicky stunts like Senior Skip Day, like that was funny one time, but like, you know, we're not, we're not going to do that every Friday. So, Well, are, are you less lonely now? I'm curious. I, I am so far from the guy that started this adventure. I, yeah, I, yeah, I am, uh, it's funny, you know, you, you decide you're going to write a book, you go through this long process of writing a book and it gets published and now you have to do, uh, you know, talk about it. And it's like, I'm trying to keep away from this cliche phrase of saying like, yeah, I'm in a really good place, but I am, you know, I, I did something extraordinary, which is, you know, the, the broad path of the, this whole journey for me was when I first started, I was focused on trying to save the relationships from the past, you know, reconnect, get the band back together. And then it transitioned where it was like, I, you know what, the, you know, those friends are, are, I love them. They're my best friends. I'll always be my best friends. But 
I need to build something in the present. And so I essentially set out to make new best friends. And I was inspired by this quote that I heard Mindy Kaling say on her television show, The Mindy Project. She said, a best friend is not a person, it's a tear. And that kind of freed me from this idea that like seeking out new best friends didn't feel like a betrayal of my old best friends. You know, it was like, I'm adding things to my life. So I could say on this ridiculous journey of throwing all these things on the wall, I ended it by adding four new best friends to my life. And those best friends are perhaps most vital to me right now because they're the friends I see all the time. They're the people that I am interacting with each day. They live near me. They're in my ecosystem now. Doesn't mean I don't love the best friends I've had from growing up or from college or whatever it might be. And I hope we always organize the like weekend away or whatever it is. But like, you know, uh, what makes me less lonely is having somebody to hang out with on a Wednesday night. And now I do. How'd you cultivate that? Because that's the conundrum that I find a lot of people are in. They want what you have achieved, but and have tried various different things, and they either get blown off or people are too busy or their life is too full and they just can't seem to engineer it. How'd you do it? Well, I mean, I, I pushed it. You know, I, I, was, I was diligent about it. I, but I think because I was approaching, approaching it with such intent and vulnerability, which is not a cool guy move, you know, to really be willing to put myself out there. So, I mean, what ultimately worked was, um, you know, I'm reading all sorts of things about what works, studies, blah, blah, blah. And I, I had heard a little bit about this when I wrote the original article, and then I looked into it further, which is these things called men's sheds. Have you ever heard about this, the men's shed movement? Well, I've heard of the she shed, but so I'm guessing it's related to that. Well, it's it's actually so it began in Australia and uh, in the 1990s, and the the story is just remarkable. So it begins in like a senior center, and this guy just kind of throws a fit one day, and it's like all the programming is for like women, like it's knitting and bingo, like we. The, we need some guy things. And like, you know, without even really getting permission, he goes out behind the senior center, cleans out a shed and is like, this is the men's shed. The men are just going to hang out here. That's we just need his, his saying was men need somewhere to somewhere to go, something to do and someone to talk to. So he just said, it's a shed. What are we doing here? I don't know. We're just hanging out. It became very popular. He got a, a, reporter for a bank newsletter. I don't even fully understand this whole thing. To write a little article about it, which then appears in the newsletter that appears in every bank branch all over Australia. And before you knew it, there were a thousand men's sheds in Australia. And they, prior to COVID, the last time I checked in on it, they were opening at the rate of about one per day somewhere in the world. It, it was this movement uh, happening. So I kind of looked at that and it was like, I, to bring friendship into my daily life, I'm going to essentially steal, I was, I was going to meld that idea, the men's shed idea, with this simple idea of Wednesday night. And the men's sheds are geared towards older men, retired, retirees. And uh, so I just came up with this idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this Wednesday night thing. I'm going to do it in this 
community where I now live, where I know a lot of guys, but I didn't really have any like friends. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sat down and started just writing names on post-it notes and putting them on my wall, like a psycho and just kind of moving them around and being like, all right, you know, who are these guys? A lot of them are guys I've met through my kids. A lot are guys where I know their wives, but each one of them kind of shared the same thing, which is at some point, like there was a spark between us. And that that's a term that's often used in a romantic way. But it was like, you know, I met him and I was like, oh, I liked it. I could see myself being friends with this guy. What I did was create a vessel for us to be friends. So I organized this thing. You know, in a perhaps overly cinematic way, I sent out like a dozen invitations to these guys. Like, hey, meet me at this night, at this time, at this barn. And they all showed up, each of them like, what, am, am I about to be murdered? What, what, what are you up to here? And uh, I told, this was sort of deep into my journey, told them all about, you know, this article I was asked to write, this journey I went on, these different things I try, I've tried, these, these things I've learned. And it's led me to this point where it's like, I'm going to try and start a little, you know, sort of boys club fraternity for guys on a Wednesday night. And uh, the response was, yes. You know, I had stood in front of them. I made myself a little vulnerable. I, I, I showed some intent. And uh, that silly little idea, I mean, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. I spent last night uh, standing around a campfire. It's like 20 degrees out, bunch of guys in their 40s. And uh, what did we do? I, I can't even tell you. I mean, we, we, we haven't forgotten how to be juvenile. And just that sort of guys standing around being being meatheads uh fills something in me like I, I go home in a good mood i wake up in a good mood and i feel um i think you know the arrival of covid has raised lots of questions about our social connections and i feel that uh i have it i have a tribe now i have a, 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 a I, I have an active membership in a tribe did were there any speed bumps was it just that easy of announcing and then calling people and then having a speech because it's because in my experience that doesn't usually cut it. No, they were well. It started off hot, and then it got to like there was definitely a lull of like what. So what? We're just gonna like show up at this barn every week, and what? What are we? We're gonna talk about our feelings or something like that. And and what's funny is I also started to feel it. There were definitely some Wednesdays rolling around where I'm like, I don't, I don't know, what are we gonna do? You know. It felt like a lot of pressure on me. I, I was really hoping to decentralize the idea. Like, you know, let's just have it be a thing. You bring a friend. I don't want this to be Billy's idea, Billy's thing. And uh, what actually saved it in the funniest way was um, we decided we just needed a purpose. We just needed a velvet hook, you know, other than like we, we're all guys who could stand to have some uh, some friendship in our lives and hang out. Like we needed, we need an activity. This is the the very first thing I, I learned on this whole journey. I I, I spoke with a psychiatrist who wrote uh, a book called The Lonely American, kind of an expert on these things, and he had stressed for men you need an activity, 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 ag activity, and just getting together and talking does not qualify. So we kind of called this summit of the Wednesday night guys. Like, all right, we're kind of you know we're all into the idea, but we we need something to do and. One of the guys proposed we we should build a BMX track, which is just the most. It was the right level of like juvenile and ridiculous, and like not a huge commitment. And who doesn't want to bust out the shovel and build some sweet jumps? And that was probably I don't know 
a year and a half ago, and we haven't done anything towards this BMX track except sit around and go, yeah, when are we going to actually do that? But there was something about that. It was like this, again, this word, uh, this term, uh, like velvet hook. It was this idea that like, no, we're, we're, we're a crew that gets together because eventually we're going to, we're going to build the BMX track. We just, uh, we haven't actually done that yet. So it, uh, yeah, there was some, you know, when I started with a dozen guys, there were some that have kind of drifted away, you know, like, uh, I mean, they've been very nice to me to, to sort of, reach out to me and go, you know, I'm kind of like more, more of a, an introvert or I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big group guy or whatever, but we, we've got a, you know, I think there's like eight guys who are, you know, there almost every time. And what do you uh, do? What, what are you doing? I mean, during COVID, what we've been doing is just basically building huge fires and hanging outside. Cause that's the, the most we can do. But at this point, you know, we've gone from it being this sort of awkward idea. Is it a little forced? okay, we're this crew that's going to build a, a BMX track to, like, friendship has just happened. You know, we have, uh, we've all, these guys are, like, best friends that I'm now texting with every day. And uh, it's fine because my wife asks me that a lot. Like, what do you guys even do? And it's like, I don't know. Just, what do friends do? We sit around, we bust each other's balls, and, and three hours go by, and we go home to our families. And uh, Is that part of it, to, to text each other frequently? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's no script, but it seems to, yeah, there's definitely the group texts. I uh, when COVID first hit, you know, so I, I work as a reporter, and they the the newspaper, of course, knew I was working on this book about male friendship and social connections. And so when COVID first struck, it was like, why don't you, you know, sort of start thinking in that category? I think a lot of people have these questions about like what impact this has, and. Uh, you know, one of the conclusions I came to was that it seemed like the world, or at least my world, was gravitating away from social media to what felt like, I use the term tribal media, like these small things like group texts, like every every tribe it felt like I'd ever been a part of was suddenly like, you know, reactivating, like checking in on each other, you know, like, uh, let's get that Zoom call, you know, let's do that, that, that little mini reunion. And, uh, the group text is definitely, uh, it's, I mean, in this day and age, like with social media, I mean, you, you, you know, you can get canceled for, uh, for God knows what you, you say on there, but there's that sort of safety of being around your friends, that, that private conversation. And, uh, and, and it, it's fun. It's, um, I mean, this is a group of 40 something and 50 something year old guys. And it's amazing how like, you know, a fart joke still plays, you know, I mean, we, we are just happy to be juvenile and there, there is a sort of joy of, of just being with your friends and, and, you know, with COVID, these, these things, it, it felt a little bit like circling the wagons, you know, if you, if you look at it in an evolutionary sense, like, why do we have friends? One, one of the leading arguments is simply that, that if, if, if it hits the fan, we need someone to have our back, you know, and this is the closest many of us have ever come to a situation where it all hit the fan. You know, there was a, a pandemic descending upon all of us, you know, especially in the early days of it when we were locked in our houses. It was nice to know that if I fell sick or my family felt sick, I had a friend in the neighborhood who would, you know, go to the drugstore for us or bring us food or whatever it might be. You know, it, it, it was that um, classic circling the wagons feeling. And it, it, it's a, it's a good feeling. It, it's, it's, being necessary to someone else, which, 
you know, in this day and age, it's this wonderful book by Sebastian Younger, who, who's famous for writing The Perfect Storm. Um, and this book is called Tribe. And, and he, it's basically an argument for tribal living as the highest form of, of human civilization. And we've largely abandoned that. But he makes this one great point, which is that for the first time in human history, it's possible to live your entire life without friends or without actually even seeing anyone. You know, you can have everything delivered to your door. You can work remotely. You can go entire days or weeks without having to see another human being. And, you know, that doesn't mean that's right or positive, you know. And and I don't know. I, 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 um, I, I've been, you know, dominating the conversation here, but I'm curious to hear, you know, I mean, you've, you've been working on this issue and talking about it, like, what your take is on this, you know, you hear all sorts of phrasing for it, this loneliness epidemic or, or pandemic or crisis, you know, and, and what, what, the, what the barriers are and, and what the solutions are. Yeah. The way I see it, similar to what you were saying, is that we evolved in a time 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, where there were certain natural things that were an outgrowth of necessity that were uh, simpatico with our physiology and our psychology. For example, there was, a, there was an overabundance of fibrous food around, and there wasn't much sugar or berries or salty things. And so when you were hungry, there was just like tons and tons of fibrous food. And so we ate a lot of – we didn't love it, but we ate it. And then every once in a while, you'd find a little berry or you'd find a – you know, a thing that, you know, you, you, a fatty thing or a salty thing. But most of the time it was a lot of fiber. And that's our, we know physiologically, that's our healthy diet is a lot of fiber and a little bit of the other stuff. We need the other stuff, but we don't need to have a lot of it. But given our current society, we have the ability to give us all the sugar and all the salt and all the fat, and we don't have to eat fiber at all. And we have all these health problems. Similar to that, back then, we had a tribe of people, and there were no homes. There were no, you know, contrary to the cliche, we weren't living in caves. We just slept probably in trees or near trees or something. And you were always within eyesight and in earshot of your at least a portion of your tribe, if if not, um, you know, often your entire life, as you put it, your entire life, your kin, your children, your spouse, your parents, your aunts, your siblings, your friends, your cousins are around you all the time. Now we have this ability to not do that anymore. Back then you couldn't wander off and build your own one-man tribe because you would have died. It just it just wasn't possible. Now, even up until 50 years ago, it wasn't really possible either, but now it's totally possible. And we have this culture of capitalism and bigger homes and everyone gets their own car and it's all about money and materialism and acting tough and emotions are bad. And so everyone gets diluted into this lifestyle of isolation and they're wondering why they're anxious and sad and unfulfilled. And in the same way that we have to force ourselves to eat fiber, in some ways, you might have to kind of force yourself to have friends because that's really what your body wants fiber, but you don't crave it. Your body needs friendship and companionship and kin 
to be around you all the time. But we also have this other side of us that wants privacy and that sort of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, is that that's what we're running into. And we are, it's getting worse as far as I can tell. It's not getting better. The houses are getting bigger. In terms of uh, cause for men, you know, you've been talking a lot about gender and, and loneliness. Men are socialized to not care about emotions. They're socialized to... Uh, work and to be held up as, you know, their worth is related to how much money they earn and their prestige. And in some ways to sit, uh, like I, you know, I remember going to the movies, right? You're supposed to have like the heterosexual seat in between you and your friends, right? right? And that, that's the joke. But, uh, and that, but that's not really a joke. It's this thing, like if you see two men in a movie theater together, somehow, one, they're gay, and two, that's a bad thing. And these assumptions just get thrown around very subtly, but, but very much injected into uh, boys' heads, and they just don't acknowledge it. Now, of course, women have a lot of loneliness, too. Um, but I'm curious from you, Billy, because I've talked to so many people about you know, you a few years ago where you notice you're lonely and you're, you're trying to get things going and you're, you're doing the senior skip day and it's not really working. And maybe you call some old friends, you're trying to get things going and it just road bump after road bump after road bump. And the way that you tell your story, it, you know, definitely provides hope, but I think it also, there must be something about you, like you're you're charismatic, or you just happen to pick the right dudes, or I think there's something more uh, stubborn in some people's loneliness. In your travels, what have you learned about that? Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I'm fortunate; it worked out for me. And the trick of all this is, you know, since I was thrust into the center of this, and. Um, now I'm stepping into the conversation again, like there are people who are very lonely, you know, and I, I don't think I ever slid into that category. Um, there are people who really struggle to make friends. They, they're, they're introverts. They're socially awkward, you know, and, and in that regard, like I, you know, I, I have a hard enough time helping myself, you know, and, and so I don't, there's no answer for regular guys. There's no answer for people who may have more struggles. What worked for me was staying at it and also just coming to believe that because I, I believe that other guys might be feeling this on various other levels that they might be receptive to it. So you trusted that they also wanted friendship with you. I trusted that some of them would, you know, I also knew that it wasn't going to, you know, I mean, I, 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 you can smell it a mile away when someone's kind of like coming on a little strong, right? Like it's, it's a little bit of a feel like that over eagerness. And there's something about men, whether it's innate or learned where you just kind of like, um, you become standoffish in those situations or you, you deem that action to be sort of, uh, you know, unmanly or something like that. But 
you know, the, one of the best parts of getting older is being, uh, being old enough to be honest, you know, and I feel like, um, at this age, those, those things that I feared didn't, didn't often happen. They were, they were, they were, they were fears based in my youth, based in that time where like, you know, saying I like you to a guy would have, would, could, you know, get you called gay or something like that, which is in American culture, I talk about it in the book, like the use of the word gay as a sort of eject button that, you know, other than being wildly insulting to gay people, it's used as this like safe word when it's like, oh, we're getting a little, you know, a little too deep here, a little too emotional, uh, gay, you know, and it's like, it's often deployed in moments where it's like, I think we're acting feminine. And it's in those moments where we, or what is deemed a feminine um, action. And, and, And that's a good thing. Like those, you know, like, sharing your feelings, being open and honest with each other, like that's healthy. That that's that's filling. And too often, I mean, I think it starts in middle school and and it leads to putting all this armor on that you use to get through adolescence and early adulthood and then um you know, thankful I've come out the other side. But that that you know, I have a son that just entered middle school this year and I worry about you know that that he's going to learn this. And that's what the scariest part of it. It's not, it's not innate to every culture in the world. It's in America, it's a learned thing. It's passed down from, you know, older brothers to younger brothers or, or whatever it might be. It just, it's like this silly use of the, this term to police any open and honest and soft interaction between guys as being unmanly. And I don't know, you know, I, I, in even writing about it, it's like, you know, it's, it it just, you know, there, there's a lot of research about that sort of damage to young boys at an early age from this like fear of intimacy. And and a lot of it is, you know, with that, the fear of coming across as gay, but it's not even used like fear of coming across as gay as in, you know, like, you like other guys, like it's fear of like, you know, looking feminine, you know, or being perceived as feminine. And like, in those moments, like as a dad, now I want to say to my son, you know, those are the good moments, you know, when you two are sharing and honest and connecting, that's the juju, that's the magic in life, you know, to, to hide from that, because there's some sort of learned cultural you know, thing that, that, that is told, we're told to like block that, like, I don't know how to overcome it other than, you know, dads having honest conversations with sons, but, um, well, well, and modeling, I mean, your sons see you talking with your friends, maybe even vulnerable moments, also busting balls moments, but yeah, the whole thing. And, you know, that, that has a profound effect on kids. It's, yeah, it's, we just had a, a moment this afternoon where I was with my son, we went to the local library, and he was sitting in the car, and he saw a group of kids that he's friends with, but maybe not everyday friends with, and they were, like, carrying a basketball, and clearly, I could look at my son, it was like, he wanted so desperately to get out of that car and, like, go play with the kids, and it was like, just go, and, you know, I don't know, I don't want to, and, like, thankfully, they saw him, like, hey, come play, you know, and he comes home in this great mood, but it's like, 
that I mean, in that moment, he was fearing looking like a kid who wanted to have friends, you know, like, oh, I'd love to be to hang out with you right now. Don't want them to know that I want to hang out with them right now. I don't know what's going on in his head, but it's like, and it's so easy to be the old guy that's like, no, God, it'll, it'll go smoothly. But I mean, just genuine nervousness. Like, I mean, just a real anxiety coming off of him. And, uh, and right now, I mean, he's, you know, remote learning. I mean, these kids are so desperate for any, any little interaction with their peers. It's, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, everyone has, you know, serious concerns about this, the effects this is having on our children and the, and their, their lack of social connections at the moment, how it will affect them in the future. And, in that moment, I mean, it it broke my heart, but it was also like, you know what, that that, that happened when I was a kid too. You know, I, I I've had that moment where I was like, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, look like I want to be friends with those kids, even though I, I really do, even though I want to get out of my car right now and I desperately would like them to invite me to this basketball game. Did you have moments where you felt rejected and thought maybe I should just pull back and be by myself for a while? You know, like you text someone, hey, let's hang out. They don't text you back or they're all too busy or something like that. And you just want to crawl into a hole and, and say, yeah. never mind. There was, uh, yeah, may, maybe the, the one was um, when I was still in the like, let's get the band back together phase. One of the bands I was trying to uh, get back together was my crew of like college friends, you know, and I, I had this kind of ridiculous idea i um which was uh i wanted us to go all look for uh, all, all to go look for this treasure that this guy had hidden in the rocky mountains i don't know if you ever heard about this false oh, yeah. fan guy you know so um it was found recently right it, it allegedly allegedly uh don announced where it was found which raises suspicion i i you know i i've joked all along i'm not sure that you know banksy wasn't behind the whole thing but it uh you know in that regard i think i pushed it a little bit and uh something guys do that's a little bit weird is so men are competitive right and we we spend our sort of youth competitive often in physical ways you know sports or just aggression or peacocking for the girl and it seems like a certain type of guy you know, um, I, uh, in the book, I, I, I describe sort of two types of modes, uh, 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 a man can be in, they could be in guy's guide, they could be a guy's guy or they could be man's man, you know, it's like, and the man's man is when they're competitive and often for adults, the way adult men get competitive is by squashing the idea of another guy. Like mm-hmm. I, I raise this idea, like, I think we should go on a treasure hunt. That's the worst idea ever. Like in that moment, the man's man, like he competed by telling me my idea was terrible, you know, whereas the guy's guy, you know, you say, you say yes. And, you know, like, yes, I'll go on the treasure hunt. And while we're there, we should go fly fishing or whatever it might be. So the, uh, when I proposed like, Hey, we should all go on this treasure hunt. You know, there were a few kind of like, um, you know, a few guys in, in man's man mode who kind of, quash the idea but you know what a lot uh four of us went we had the time of our lives and you know i'd like to think the guys who uh had their their brief moment of feeling like a tough guy by uh crapping on it um <laughs> wish they had come we, we we had a great time we dressed up as the goonies we did not find the treasure but again i'm uh not fully convinced it ever existed but you know what 
we found our own treasure, which was uh, oh wait wait so <laughs> so did, did you have an Asian friend to dress up at? Because I'm Asian, so I, I, okay. Did you have an Asian friend dress up as the Asian guy? We we did we we very consciously avoided that one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> mostly because that's also the. Um, the most racist part of the movie. The most racist and also the most difficult costume. You know, I mean, he's <laughs> got to have the punching bag coming out and, and all the, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we just had, it, it, it just weirdly worked where like the people that went really, I mean, we had, we had the fat guy, you know, I mean, we knew who he was going to be. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just like, you know, it, it was absurd. One of the things I took from, um, you know, my sort of unofficial study of women and what works for them was, especially adult women, they're, 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 they're much more willing to be like silly as a group, you know, like that used to be so fun. But if some reason like men, I don't know, you you go through this phase where, you know, there's a, there's a reason that like a bachelor party and a bachelorette party look very different, right? Like women like go, woo, and it's wild and they dress ridiculous. And there's, it's just one big pile of nonsense. And guys, for some reason, decide it's the 1950s and we need to like drink whiskey and smoke cigars and go to a strip club. Like, eh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, let's, let's do something uh goofy you know and so the uh the treasure hunt the guys that were willing to come on the treasure hunt and dress up as the goonies uh were the ones who were sort of willing to be goofy and we had a great time i mean we i mean yeah it was too fun i mean we're flying uh, you know everyone's in their costumes on planes all all rendezvousing at the salt lake airport and it was like there's chunk in his hawaiian shirt and uh my friend who, uh, I'm sure you remember the Goonies, but, uh, uh, Bran, the older brother had those, I don't even know what they're called. They're like these exercise coil things, you know, like, and I don't know where my friend even found those things, but there he is, you know, in the airport too. It it was just, uh, it was the best, you know? And, uh, and, but that, you know, it's like, that is the last time I've seen those guys, you know? So that was when I was talking about, you know, like, it was great to get the bands back together, but you know, they live all over the country. So, you know, this journey was twofold. It was like at first I was trying to, you know, turn my old tribes into active tribes, but it's just, it just isn't possible. You know, uh, we're, we're different people at different. Where'd you find your current tribe people? Is it at work? Uh, No, it was, um, yeah, these were just, you know, I, yeah, so, you know, I, I work in Boston. I live about an hour away. And so these were all just people. I, I live on Cape Ann, which everyone knows Cape Cod in Massachusetts. That's south of Boston. North of Boston is this smaller Cape and uh, just four towns. And just, yeah, people I like some guys I, I knew from the gym. I talk a little bit about the gym because I, I would have, uh, like, younger Billy would have said, you know, shoot me in the head if you become one of those middle-aged guys whose best friends are like bros from the gym, you know, like, but you know what? When I looked around at like people I liked and I was like actively seeing and hanging out with, you know what? A lot of them were guys I knew from the gym, like shoot me, you know? And, and so, uh, yeah, some guys from the gym, some guys who, um, yeah, I, I was friends with their wives. I, I, I definitely, it's surprising when I, when I was thinking it through like, all right, what, what friendships are working, which ones need to be repaired. 
it was shocking to see how many of my really good active friendships were actually with women, you know, and, and I think it's because I was able to speak to them in a more honest, open, deeper way without any fear of, you know, crossing some line, having anyone hit the, you know, hit the gay button or anything like that. And, and so as a result, I, I kind of went through women. I like to be like, I'm, you know, I assume you're married to a guy I'd like, you know, so, uh, and, and, and it proved to work. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like love, right? Like it, 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 it's, it's an emotional connection, right? And like, you can't decide who you're going to fall in love with or why or where you're going to meet them. You know, you gotta, you gotta be open and receptive to it and be trying and, uh, and sure enough, you know, uh, you know, you fall in love and you, you, convince yourself this person is your soulmate even though it's not like you've met every one of the six or seven billion people on the planet but you're like i did find the exact one for me and you know i was very lucky to find that with a woman that i married but like these guys you know like the these four new best friends i've added to my life recently it's like i I wouldn't trade them for anything and uh, are, are they the perfect ones for me yes because i've decided they are you know because i want them to be do they ever annoy you I think it's probably the other way around. Do I annoy them? I mean, can you imagine being friends with the guy who's literally writing the book on friendship and uh, always has a new idea? But um, yeah, they and I mean, you know, they they all fit into their categories. Like, I read quite a bit about the idea that we we have friends. You know, we 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 have friends that slide into different roles, and it's like you have that friend you'd call when it's like, you know what? I just want to go out tonight and like get blind drunk and forget about everything. And you have that friend you call when you, you know, might want to discuss something that's going on in, in, in the news or, you know, we have all these different things. And so, yeah, that I have friends that, uh, that annoy me and I annoy them. And I think it's when we're not, you know, I don't, and you, you learn, like, I'm not going to go to him with some personal problem. I'm going to, you know, he's the sort of guy I call when I need to, uh, chainsaw a tree in my backyard and then we'll bond over that. Right. Like that's his thing, you know, uh, we have sensitive friends. We have tough guy friends. We have uh, talkative friends. We have good listeners. You know, you, you, you need them all. And, uh, and at this point, I, I feel fortunate that I haven't worn them out yet with my stuff. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking uh, just a few days before this book comes out. And so other than going on this journey, making these friends, then writing a book involving your friends uh, – comes a moment when you have to give them a copy of the book that they are featured in and cross your fingers and hope that uh, you didn't uh, you didn't betray them by uh, airing out too much. And the reception has been just, just amazing. You know, like uh, one of the first things that happened, so I write this original article about how, you know, I've become a bit of a loser. I've, I, 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 I don't know how it happened. It seems that I'm part of this... Um, silent majority of people that might be feeling this way uh the article goes viral all of a sudden there's this week where i am america's number one middle-aged loser like i am you know i'm on npr there are people are writing think pieces it's all over the place so i send the article to my two best friends from high school who i'd mentioned in the piece and, it, and I wrote something like, hey, I just uh, don't know if you guys know, I wrote an article about how you guys are lousy friends and I miss you. And uh, one of them writes back and says, oh, man, that hits really close to home, which is uh, why uh, what I'm gonna about to say is not going to go over well. But I forgot to 
mention that I moved to Vienna. And I'm like, Vienna, like in Austria? And, and this is, you know, a guy who was living, you know, 30 minutes away from me. A guy I would have said was my best friend, you know, if I had to, to name just one. And it was like, oh my, has it? Re- have we really lost touch so much to the point where you moved to far away Europe and didn't bother to mention it? So a lot of the book was about, um, a lot of the beginning of the book was about me flying to Vienna, trying to rescue this friendship and kind of really analyzing our, our relationship. And so fast forward to me writing a book about it and then having to mail it to him. And I mean, you know, he, he, he's actually strangely like living in an Airstream trailer somewhere in Arizona right now, but that's a, that's a different story. So I mail it to him. And then it was like three days of like, Oh my gosh, like, how's he going to feel? I really, you know, I was open and honest and there's some, some deep stuff in there. And, uh, and his response was like, I'm, I'm touched. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a love letter to our friendship, and uh, that meant something. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how open and honest he's been with me about how he feels about it being uh, featured uh, front and center in a in a a uh, hardcover book, but um, it you know it was uh, it meant something to him. So yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I'm 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 like four or five friends into this journey meaning four or five friends that have actually read it and uh uh, others that will read it when it comes out next week so it's going to be an interesting little bit i mean i i I wasn't here to bash any of them my whole thing was to celebrate friendship and repair it but you you just never know i mean I'm, i'm a little anxious and nervous right now not about how it plays out in the media or gets reviewed but like what do the friends in this book actually um think about it and and something funny so in the book i um I don't know if you're familiar with Dunbar's number, this idea that we can have 150. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I um, did perhaps not what Dunbar's number was intended for. I actually sat down and uh, uh, wrote out my 150. I, like, went through everyone in my, you know, phone contacts, everyone in my uh, of my Facebook friends, and I was like, who are the people I actually care about in this world? And I just wrote their names down put them on a post-it note, put them on the wall. And when I counted them up, it was exactly 150. I was shocked. I was, I mean, Robin Dunbar just drained his shot with this number. And so, um, the section of the book that deals with that was excerpted in the Boston Globe magazine last week. And it's led to so many people contacting me and saying, why am I not in your 150? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, did I make the cut? And of course I'm going to say yes to everyone. But, uh, but every, I, 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 everyone that has contacted me is in the 150, you know, it's like they were, that was, you know, the, the original article going viral and hopefully this book uh, will serve the same function for my friends. It becomes like this just reason to reach out. Like when I wrote the original article where I called myself a loser, I can't tell you how many of my friends track me down to just take that layup joke and go, I always knew you were a loser. And you know what? That was their way of saying, hey, I, 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 I miss you, you know, and and we reconnected. So um, uh, I think the 150 is going to serve the same function where 
hopefully uh, all these people who, you know, you know, in your heart when you mean something to someone, you know, like, and, uh, and they mean something to you. So it's, um, it's nice to say that with in a sort of safe guy way of saying you're in my 150 instead of saying I love you. So if your boss at the Boston Globe hadn't assigned you to be the uh, best loser to write this article, where would you be today? I'd probably be the guy who um, had guys he knew, you know, who still tried in in my current community. There'd be some guys I knew, i say hi to, whatever. Um, and I'd probably still be one of those guys who relied on his wife to uh, keep the social calendar. You know, uh, prior to that, our social life with friends consisted of, you know, like, you know, asking my wife, hey, we should organize a weekend away or go skiing with so-and-so and so-and-so. And, you know, can you check the schedule and talk to her? And, um, you know, like it, uh, yeah, I don't, I, it's hard to say where I'd be. I'm, 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 a, I'm a big post-it note guy. I'm staring at more post-it notes on my wall. But Would you be more lonely? In using the term lonely, I always feel uncomfortable because I don't, I feel like I don't get, I don't deserve to say it because I'm a fortunate guy in that, like, I have a great wife. I have two little boys I adore. You know, I have a job I care about. I have, you know, coworkers I I, I enjoy, you know, being with. It, uh, but friendship in that, like, true friendship sense was just simply not there. So would I have been lonely? I think I probably would have been lonely and not known it or not spoke about it. And I think I would have been on a very predictable path that I see happen. I see it happen with my dad now. Like, so he retired about a year ago and, you know, already he, his friends were the dads of my friends. You know, they, they stood on the sidelines with each other in the stands at sporting events. And that, that was their social world. As we grew up and out of the house, they stopped seeing each other more and more. Now he's retired from his, from work, and so he's not having a sort of daily interactions at his job. And, you know, like, what is he, you know, most of the time he, uh, he'll tell you, like, he just falls asleep watching Law and Order on the couch, and then he calls me and asks when he can see his grandsons, you know, and it's, um, it's a guy who did nothing wrong. He was a good dad, he provided for his family, did all these things right, but, like, he was never taught or never taught himself to prioritize friendship and, and make it a, a part of his daily life. And when he lost his, his activity, his way to stand shoulder to shoulder with these guys, which was largely them, you know, watching uh, us play sports or whatever it might be, he, he lost his, uh, his velvet hook. And, you know, I'm, I'm the annoying son that's like on him. You got to do this. You got to do that. I'm trying to tell him, you know, I'll help you start a men's shed. You know, it's a thing, you know, and it's just, oh, but it's too much. Don't worry about it, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's a, he's a baby boomer. They were raised by a generation coming home from a very horrific war that kind of, you know, were taught to, you know, man up, you know, and keep a stiff upper lip. And uh, I, I don't know that... Uh, you know, talking about your feelings was uh, was something that his generation was uh, was told was okay. You know, so uh, it, it it just doesn't come up. And uh, I think that yeah, this is a long way of answering your question. I think I probably would have been on a path where uh, things would have seemed fine until all of a sudden I looked around and they weren't. You know, and and I think I was even like naively thinking like 
yeah, this is just how it is in middle age. And, you know, I'll, I'll reconnect with my friends when we're retired. We'll hang out on the golf course, you know, like, I don't know. I don't even play golf. Like, I mean, it, uh, so yeah, I, it's hard to say where I would be. I would probably be, um, content, but not, um, not emotionally satisfied, at least in this category, this, this simple category of friendship. So your book comes out in a couple of days from this recording, but when this posts, it'll be in the in the like a week or two in the past. Where can people get your book, and what's it called? It's called "We Need to Hang Out." It's a memoir of making friends, and uh, hopefully, you can buy it everywhere. But uh, that that's the hope. Um, yeah, it. Uh, we'll see. I'm hoping you know that this book does exactly what the original article did, which is inspire people to just make a little bit of an effort you know like the best emails i've received all along this journey is you know and they still come now you know i got one just the other day it was a guy like hey i've always you know uh, this is a long overdue email i remember reading your original article and it uh inspired me to get together with a group of guys and we now you know do this thing or whatever i mean it's that simple you know uh you got to take the step and i bet you the People you step towards are, are willing to step towards you. You know, it, it, you got to believe in it. And, uh, yeah, nobody wants to be the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria, that feeling of being, being a loser. But you know what? Look around the world. Like, everyone's sitting at the table eating alone now. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Billy. It was a fascinating story to hear about all your adventures. It's like I could see this being turned into a movie or something, you know, the adventures of – of Billy Baker trying to make friends or something. Yeah, it's um I mean, you know the the book's called We Need to Hang Out and I feel like it's a it's a it's a challenge, right? It's it's like it, it's a call to action. It's it's that simple, people. You know, we we need to hang out. You know, if if you don't want to see the doctor, see your friends. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Billy. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it and make friends and take that risk because we all deserve it. We really really do.